Welcome to my life, Chassidus Applied, episode 314. This program is in honor of Rivka Leah Jacobson upon her birthday on the 29th of Sivan, wishing her many long and healthy years filled with success and joy and nachas, lovingly de- dedicated by her husband, Yachmiel, and family. can I say? The weeks roll on and we're in this embroiled in this uh, chaotic unknown and here we are in the week of Gimel Tammuz. Yes, another Gimel Tammuz. 26 years. This this, uh, Thursday will be 26 years from when that dark day took place Metzoy Shabbos it was Metzoy Shabbos Pashas Kedach and Saturday night and Sunday who will ever forget when as that day in history goes back to Yeshua Shemesh be given daim the sun fell silent at Yeshua's request request our son the son of our generation a Rebbe is compared to a Shemesh it says the face of Moshe is like the face of the sun, the Moshe of every generation. That sun also came to a halt, silenced. And ever since, we've been trying to make sense. And I don't think we could make sense. But as the Rebbe taught us, and Chassidus teaches us, and the Torah teaches us, it doesn't have to make sense for us to do what we need to do. We need to forge ahead we were given all the strengths and all the faculties and all the tools and resources to fulfill our mission. Sometimes the mission makes more sense than other times. Sometimes we can understand it well. And sometimes there's a darkness, there's a concealment that we cannot fully wrap our heads around. As I have always maintained, Gimel Thomas for me is a question, not an answer. And remains one of those mysteries in history that go there with other so-called darknesses or concealments, always for a deeper reason. But one thing is for sure, in the Rebbe's immortal words said 29 years ago, on Chof Ches Nisen, Tav the Rebbe said, what does he say? He said at the time, that I finished, I did all I can, now it's your job. Tut Alzvah do everything you can. And in a stunningly and frankly macabre and un- tragic way, it was fulfilled. Because now, is physically, it is completely up to us. Yes, we have the strengths and the blessings and the Nesinus Kayach from Lamaila, from the Rebbe. But in a very revealed way, ever since Chavzai Nadir, you can even say, 28 years ago when the Rebbe had the stroke, and definitely from Gimel Tammuz, become completely, in the, in the obvious way, in our hands. And what have we done? I don't want to be critical now and negative. We have to always look ahead. Even if yesterday was not perfect and the day before, there's tomorrow. There's today, there's tomorrow. So Gimel Tammuz is coming. Chassidus applied is about applying Chassidus to life. This doesn't just mean 
in personal growth, in relationships with our spouses and families, in dealing with the different challenges life presents. In the big picture, it goes on what is our core mission, the core mission we were given. And in many ways, as the Rebbe said, when that's not done, everything else pales in comparison. So what can we do that has not been done? And now we are in the wake of a pandemic that is not gone, in the wake, especially in the United States, of a, a completely unexpected social unrest, upheaval all around us, a world that's very fragile and very vulnerable, people seeking an open, never been so open, never been as receptive. So my mantra, if I can put it that way, is Imlay Achshavemasai. Obviously, citing the Mishnah. There will never be a greater wake up call than this one. There will never be a greater disruption than this one, except Mashiach himself coming. So, if this does not get to us, if this does not stimulate and motivate, I don't know what, what will. So, I would say, very, I'm going to say it without gloves and without any diplomacy. Let me put it bluntly and candidly. It's 26 years from Gimel Thomas. If you see yourself as a chassid, as a disciple, as a student, as a shliach, as a shlucha, an ambassador, someone that the Rebbe means something to you, and what does the Rebbe mean? The Rebbe represents generations of generations of Jewish leadership and teireh and scholarship. That's what a Rebbe is. He's not an entity of himself. He's part of a big picture. If we are to take that seriously, then the cheshben ha-nefesh, that counting that we have to do and make right now, is very straightforward. What are you doing? What are you doing to be not part of the problem, but part of the solution? And I want to make sure this comes across correctly. I'm not here to say Musr. I speak to myself. That's why I have to work on God blessed me, I have the opportunity, the ability, the platform, the trust to communicate. But I'm communicating to myself while I communicate to you. And I don't want anyone to think for one second this is about reprimanding, saying Musr, telling others what they should be doing, what they haven't done. We're speaking heart to heart, brother to brother, sister to sister. Yes, we're using technology. But words from the heart enter the heart, whether it's technology or not technology. That's the question we have to ask. There's one simple Gimel Thomas question. People say, what should I do for Gimel Thomas? There's all kinds of, all kinds of, obviously learn Taylor, learn the Rebbe's Taylor, learn Memorim, learn Sichas, learn Lekutei Sichas, say Tehillim, learn Rambam. All the Tarkonah follow the Rebbe's directives. That, I'm not going to say goes without saying, it should be said, and it is being said, and I'm saying it as well. But that everybody knows, and that's what we do every year. Let's talk about what should pierce and say, what am I going to do now that was not done is a personal question that you and I have to ask ourselves. Because, not to cite yet another cliche, if nothing changes, nothing changes. You want change? They say insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. So what are we going to do in the language of the Rebbe brought from Chassidus? Hazozeh. That's a hazozeh. A shift. Something that moves us a little out of the orbit of the routine. And we've been shifted. 
We didn't even ask for it. We've been shifted against our will. By a pandemic, a COVID-19 pandemic, has shifted everything about us. Our routines. Pesach, remember Pesach? Going to shuls. Our children's schedules on schools. Now summer coming, summer camps. Yes, Jews are very versatile, very resilient, and they find creative ways as human beings in general do. Beautiful. But everything has been disrupted. So how do we translate that disruption into a positive way? The disruption is meant to take us out of our routines in a good way. And what's the good way? To do something different. And when I say different, we don't need new mitzvahs, we don't need a new teda. We're talking about a new effort, a new echus, a new quality, a new sense of urgency, urgency. Who wants to look back at 2020, this year, Tavshin Pei, and then be asked, what did you do when the whole world was shaking, when the whole world was upended and destabilized? What did you do? And when I say you do, I don't necessarily mean only on a global scale. Obviously, it's on a global scale. But to do means in your own little dollar amis, in your corner of the world, in your home, your family, your community, and by extension, the people you know. Technology has allowed us, these 10-foot boots, to be able to reach far beyond our numbers, far beyond our immediate presence because of the ability to transcend time and space as technology does. What and you, you and I are going to answer to that question? So my simple suggestion, heart to heart, is we don't have to wait till Thursday for Gimel Tammuz. We can begin right immediately. And, and what, what do we have to say? We have to say to ourselves, right now, the beginning of this week, say 26 years ago, my great and dear Rebbe, in some way or other, God chose and decided there has to be a certain level of concealment. You can call it whatever you like, but a concealment for sure. But his mission was not concealed. His legacy, his teachings, the call to us, do everything you can. Put your heads together. And we have to ask ourselves, as I said, we don't have to wait till Thursday. What am I doing right now? What can I do that I did not do before? And here's a simple answer. I'm going to go online. I'm going to send an email to, let's make it modest, to 500 new people. You want? Make it 5,000 new people. But begin something that you'll do. You want 50 new people, 10 new people, but new. I'm going to find 50 people, either through my friends and ask them to bring it to their friends. I would make the goal 500, because that's a little, that's gonna, you have to push yourself a bit. 500 new people that I have not communicated with, I'm going to send them a beautiful message from the Rebbe. You'll say, where am I going to get this message? Choose. You'll be getting in your inbox, I'm sure, material from us and from other entities. I have a book called Toward a Meaningful Life. There's plenty of things you can do, do, quote from there, cite from there, go to MeaningfulLife.com. This is not a plug, by the way, for us. It is a plug as well, because that's what I do. At chassidahsupply.com or meaningfullife.com. But the truth is, whatever speaks to you, find something and make sure that whoever's receiving it is something they would be interested in. They may be a family person, so they'd be interested in the insight about how to strengthen your family, especially in these challenging times. It may be a personal, maybe a single person. 
Maybe an issue related to relationships. It may be an issue related to work. Maybe an issue related to health. Who's not struggling in some way with one of these? And there's more. When I wrote Toward a Meaningful Life, how did I develop what chapters to write? I asked the average person from all backgrounds. I said, what are the 30 most important topics in your life? Everybody has the same topics. It's just in different cycles of people's life span, different things interest them. Body and soul, birth, childhood, education, youth, marriage, love, intimacy, fear and anxiety, work, health. Find something and send them this message. So above all, what you've done, you've already done an action. You've reached to people and you communicated them a heartfelt, sincere message from the Rebbe, the Rebbe distilling it from Kamuvan, obviously from generations and generations of Torah, but in the language of our time. Because that's what a Rebbe is. Everything that a good student, a diligent student, a dedicated student, is mechadish, innovates, was given to Moshat Sinai. What does that mean? How could there be a chidush and was given? Because the spirit of it, the methodology, the principles were given. But the application, like for example, was did Moshe hear on Har Sinai how to address a, a COVID-19 pandemic or racial unrest? No, it didn't happen yet. But the principles, the ideas, are universal and timeless and can be applied till today. To today. Make that commitment, and that's just a suggestion. You have a better suggestion? Do it. This is a suggestion I believe everybody can do. You don't have to recreate the content. All the effort you're going to have to make is to get those names. Emails, through WhatsApp, through other texting, social media, whatever platform. You can then go away saying, Rebbe, in preparation to Gimel Tamas, I reached 500 new people with a message from you. And obviously you should leave a return. They can contact you or a link. And you choose. The Gemara says, when it was asked, a student asked, where should I begin? He said, where your heart desires. That can mean where, going where to study, but it also mean where to begin the journey, which part of the Torah to study. So find something that's that speaks to you, resonates with you, and express that with words from the heart and say, I'd like to share with you something that has touched me. You're not preaching, we're not being condescending, we're not trying to recruit. We're simply sharing as you'd share with someone you love. I read something today, beautiful. Here, look at this. Who doesn't do that all the time? We're forwarding, we're sharing. Now imagine if 500 of us reached 500 new people. You tell me, out of the numbers. And if you can do something that everyone you reach say, please share this with another few people. This is called the ripple effect. The pu'ulanim sheches. That was such a hallmark of the Rebbe's approach. Shliach is a shliach is a shliach. Not just to receive. Make sure whoever receives from you becomes a giver in turn. People ask the question, the Rebbe's relevance to our lives today. Yeah, the physical relevance. When he's not, the Rebbe's physically not here, you're not going to be able to answer that one. But the spiritual relevance, 
the significance, the message. So to make it a little more broader, is Moshe Rabbeinu relevant today? Zichru Teiris Moshe Avdi. Is Teiris relevant today? If Teiris is relevant, then Moshe is relevant, the Rebbe is relevant, because they're embodiment and personification of Teiris. Let's not forget, that's what it comes down to. I'll never forget the days after Gimel Thomas 26 years ago. A long story how it, how it came about, but everything is divine providence. I ended up being hate Tammuz, two days after Gimel Tammuz, was Sunday, it was on Tuesday night, and I was both on, on two shows, two major national, international shows, on TV, television. One was Charlie Rose on PBS, the longer interview, and there was another interview with a man called Larry King on CNN, Larry King Live. I remember Larry King, that was a short interview there, it's much punchier and very uh, quick, quick answers. Larry King asked me this question. This was live TV. I was sitting in a room. You don't know human beings. The only thing you see is a camera. And you have to be trained to look at the camera as looking at a human being. If you're not used to it in the beginning, it's quite disconcerting. So I'm looking at this camera. It's moving about. It's moving and moving like almost like a, like a robot. And he asked me this question. He says, I understand that people are very pained, the grief of losing the Rebbe. Lubavitcher Rebbe, he said. But why is there shock? After all, he's a 92-year-old man. He's not a young man. He had many healthy, good years, powerful years. So why is shock? Grief? Yes, but what's the shock? So what would you answer? You don't have no time to prepare. You had no idea he's going to ask you this question. So this is the times you're, re- you're trained for it to just speak. So here's what I said. I said, you have to remember, Larry, that for us, and you're talking about millions of people watching this at the time. You have to remember, Larry, I said that for people who knew the Rebbe, the Rebbe personified, he embodied Torah, the Torah, the Torah that has been with us for thousands of years, for over 3,300 years. This Torah withstood everything. It went through the best of times and the worst of times. It went through the destructions of temples, persecutions, slavery, genocides, pogroms, inquisitions, crusades, and ultimately the Holocaust. And it's still here. Because there's an immortality to Torah. When a Rebbe who personifies Torah, you suddenly see mortality, touch immortality, it's more than just painful and sad. It's actually shocking. That was what I said. Now, some people would say that's pretty controversial. It was received well. You know why? Because anyone in communication will tell you it's not what you say, it's how you say it. You could say the same thing in a way that people will say, this guy's nuts. I can't relate to him. This is a, you know, a crackpot, a fanatic. Or, said the right way, you can say the most radical thing. Said the right way, in a pleasant way, and in a logical way, in language that people can relate to. The Rebbe says, It's not compromising the message. It's saying it in a way that the student can listen to it. That's a good teacher. You don't say what you understand. You make sure that the student understands. So that lives on. That is immortal. And therefore, when we say, what's the connection? What's the, I have a connection to the Rebbe. 
I was born after the Rebbe passed away, after Gimel Tammuz. I never saw the Rebbe. How many people have asked that question? People including in the community. My parents. By me, the Rebbe is like the Baal Shamtov, like the Alta Rebbe, like Moshe Rabbeinu, like Rabbi Akiva. And the answer is that the Rebbe was a man of this generation. He took Torah, not just personified it, but applied it to the contemporary challenges of our time. And that message is relevant today more than ever. In many talks that I deliver around Gimel Tammuz, this year will be a little more different because of the tumultuous times we're in. But I always tell the hosts and I say, in my opinion, the best title is Revolutionary Principles that the Rebbe taught us. The first true 21st century leader. And immediately people say, what do you mean 21st century leader? The Rebbe in 1994 was Gimel Tammuz. It was before the 21st century, century, six years before. I said, no, but his teachings... The Rebbe was a man ahead of his times, a visionary. His teachings can and will transform the 21st century. Teachings, whether it's about technology or whether it's about unrest that we're seeing right now. As a matter of fact, after 9-11, my book was republished, What a Meaningful Life. The publisher asked me to add a chapter. It was called Change and Upheaval. I just was looking at it the other day. Couldn't be more relevant than now. Change and Upheaval. Because 9-11 was upheaval. Now the upheaval is, is cannot, cannot even comparable. And the Rebbe has plenty to say about upheaval. Based again on Teirach Siddis. So we have with us a treasure. A treasure of direction and guidance. And strengths and empowerment. To dealing with the challenges of our time now in 2020. And when you can express that and explain that. Then the Rebbe is as relevant as ever. That is our Gimel Tamo's mandate. What else if not that? The Rebbe said a few weeks before, before he had the stroke in 1992, he said that when a Rebbe has a stroke, those that listen to him have to be his mouthpiece and communicate. Like Moshe, Mishon, Pela, Adam, who, give man, who gives man a mouth to speak? It's God. As Chassidim, we have to be an extension, a mouthpiece of what the Rebbe taught. But not just to say it, like a, like a parrot. But to say it with the right words and the right feeling and the correct relevance because we know the people we're speaking to. That's the basis of my suggestion of what each of us can do for Gimel Tammuz. Now, you don't want to use technology? Find another way to reach 500 people. It's just easy today, especially with all the Zooms going on between families and friends and communities. It doesn't take much. And if you can be innovative and find ways to reach even more than 500 or innovative in how to reach and share that also with others, that I found a way, share that with your family. Right there, you can reach thousands and thousands of people. I would say tens of thousands have done right and hundreds of thousands. And then where's the sky's the limit? It doesn't have a limit when there's a ripple effect. So any of you listening to this right now, and obviously I'm talking to people listening. I can't be talking to someone who's not listening. That's a mathematical certainty. Anyone listening to this, please, take it to heart, and let's do something in that fashion. I assure you, you will be able to say to yourself on Gimel Tammuz, I've done something. Have you done everything? We never, the Rebbe always taught us, he's not waiting for perfection. What do they say? Perfect is the enemy of good. 
You end up doing nothing when you wait to do perfect, perfectly. How many times did the Rebbe say, publish something, there'll be mistakes? You'll publish a second edition with correcting the mistakes. Never stop action because I got to do it perfectly and have to have it all planned out. Certain things need bigger plans, it's true. But what I'm describing, an individual effort that each of us, grassroots effort, absolutely doable. Absolutely. You have to do nothing except find names and press buttons. There's not even money involved in it. And you know what? If it costs a little money to do something, so fine, that'll be your contribution. I wish that all of us wouldn't just do this, but would share it with others. And that alone, I have no question, especially in our time, you do not know who's listening and how receptive they are can make a radical difference. So the Rambam says, one ma'isa echad, one action, one word, one thought can tip the scales and bring tshuva to you, to bring redemption, salvation and redemption to you and to the entire world. Imagine 500 times. And this is also our answer to Kairach. This is also the week of Pasha's Kairach. What did Kairach challenge? He challenged, what is a Rebbe? Who needs a Rebbe? That's the opening of the Parsha. I remember back then, when Gimel Tamas happened, Mitzoyi Shabbos Parsha Kedach, Yem Aleph of Parsha's Chukas. I'm citing the way the Alta Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek describes the Alta Rebbe's Estalkus. He says, Mitzoyi Shabbos Parsha Shmois, early Yem Aleph Parsha's Ve'era. That's how the Tzemach Tzedek describes it, because it was also Mitzoyi Shabbos. And the Rebbe says the fact that he wrote those two descriptions, could have written only one, tells you that it's relevant to the Alter Rebbe, and the Rebbe has all sikhs on this. In Parshas and Chov Dalatevis, I think it's in Chelik Chov Aleph, Chelik Tezayin, those two volumes, 16 and 21. What is Kedach's Taina? Why are you suddenly lift yourself up above everybody? You and Adam. Why are you making yourself a Rebbe? The entire community, the entire congregation are sacred. And you don't find an answer in the whole Parsha. You find that he was wrong. You find Vayipal, that Mesha fell on his face until God made it clear who he wanted to choose. But it's true, is a, is a statement, is a true statement. So why do you need a Rebbe? So the Alter Rebbe, in an interesting letter, response, when the ministers arrested, when he was arrested before the Yutas Kislev Parsha. So they asked him to answer questions. He answered them in Hebrew, and they were translated into Russian. Recently, they were discovered. And he writes in a very balabatish way, the need for a Rebbe. That's what they asked. What's your role? You're a Rebbe. Because obviously they were concerned that you're creating an authority, a hierarchy that's replacing, or instead of the king, the czar. So the Tzalta Rebbe writes that a human being is an Egeibedavid. Each of us is subjective. As a subjective people, we can't always see our blind spots. So we need someone who's above the fray, an objective party. That's the role of a Rebbe, to serve as an objective one that helps us get beyond our egos and our self-interests to fulfill a higher purpose in life. That's brief, briefly. So, of course, everybody's holy. But we also have another side to us. We have self-interest. We can be blinded. We can be subjective. Comes a Rebbe and our connection with the Rebbe. That's why God said, 
Hashem said, I want you to connect to Moshe. What do you need Moshe? Connect to God. Because we need one of us, something among Bnei Adam, something among human beings, that reminds us what it means to be a human being completely committed to God and divine purpose. That's a simple answer. I don't know how simple it is, but it's the basic answer. You can go to elaborate deeper. Kedach challenged that very notion. And Kedach projected, what did he project? He projected his own weakness. He wanted leadership. So in a sense, he was jealous, and he said, no, I should be leader. So of course, we all understand the irony. But the bottom line is that Kedach was correct that everybody is holy. There's a beautiful sikh, I believe it's Kedach Tov Shinun Aleph, maybe, where the Rebbe asks a question, the Rambam Paskins in the end of Hilchah Shemitah V'yevel. Loi shevet levi bolvad alakol ish v'isha shenod v'ruche. Not shevet levi alone, meaning kohanim. But every person, and the Rebbe has all kinds of powerful footnotes to explain every person means every Jew and every human being, non-Jew as well. Should he dedicate himself? Should he separate himself from material pursuits? Havle elam, the the vanity of this world and dedicate himself to the divine this person gets sanctified the holy of holies and he brings a Pasuk about from Pasha's Kedach Pasha Kedach is telling us that, that Kedach challenged the Kuhuna and here we're using a Pasuk from Kedach because what Kedach said was correct his intentions were wrong He's correct. Every person has the capacity to be a kohen. But to do so, you have to be bottled to the kohen gadol, to the Moshe Rabbein of the generation. Then that allows you to dedicate yourself. Look at the sikha. It's a very powerful and interesting sikha. So Kedach was a pikach. He was a wise man. He understood things. But his own ego got in the way. Not going into the details relevant to us is Kedach challenged a Rebbe then. And Pasha's Kedach every year challenges the, uh, the concept of a Rebbe. That's what happened. So Metzoi Shabbos Pasha Kedach in the year Tov Shinun Dalit, 1994, 5754. The Kedach's challenge, the eternal challenge of Kedach, was right on our doorsteps. What do you need a Rebbe here? See, the Rebbe is physically no longer here. And our resounding response is, he's physically not here. But the Rebbe is Chayin Ruchnim. The Rebbe was never a physical entity in the first place. His whole being is personifying, embodying Ruchnis, what God wants of a person. Isha Lakim, a person who serves 24-7 and lives up to channeling a transparent channel of what God wants a human being to be on this earth. And when we connect to that and we learn from that, which essentially means we become shluchim. We are emissaries of the Rebbe who is a shliach of Hashem. So we all become transparent channels of channeling godliness into this world. And that lives on. So our response to Kedach, yes, it's a nice statement, a nice question you're asking, powerful question, but the Kola Eda is answering our Gdusha, we connect it, we reveal our Gdusha when we connect to our Rebbe, to our Moshe Rabbeinu. So it's apropos, because this week is a challenge of what a Rebbe is, and 
our response is equally powerful, more powerful, that no, the Rebbe lives on through us. And it's Yom Aleph HaPasha Chukas. That's how it was the first time, not this year. Chukas, what's Chukas? The beginning of the story of Tchis HaMesim, basically. There's Tumas Mes, Niskarkam upon Shalmesha, trembled and was disturbed by the fact, death, separation of soul and body, but the God provides the antidote. Mechatos, the antidote is take upon Aduma, red heifer. And it's ashes mixed with water. And the Rotsi and Shuv, as the Alter Rebbe explains in Lakuta Teira, that re-resurrects, re-brings back life. It heals from the pain and the separation of death and reconnects again to the divine. To Atamadvekim, Bashem Alekechem, Chaim, Kulchem Ayem. So Kedach and Chuk is directly related. On one hand, there's a challenge, but on the other hand, there's an antidote, there's a solution. And specifically in our times, you know, a person who's in fetters, who's in prison, who's in a pit, cannot free himself. So we need more than ever that betochen and amuna, that faith and trust, and holding on in the words of Rameir with all the disruptions in our lives and the unknowns, we more than ever need that iskashas that when you're tied above, you don't fall below. You don't slip and fall. So if ever was needed, the message of the connection to Rebbe and Teireh and Chassidus, it's now. It's now. Okay, with that, I want to address a bunch of questions that came in. Many are still addressing, obviously, the given events, the events on the ground in our times. But slowly, slowly, we are also, obviously, everything is connected to the human condition. But slowly, slowly, I hope to be able to go back to questions that preceded pre-COVID, BC, before Corona, and um, respond to them all. I also want to tell you and reassure you again, the essay contest will be finalized. I know you keep asking, but I assure you, and I have my word, Lineder, obviously, we always have to say, we will finalize it. We're working on different ways to do this in a little more creative way. The Rebbe taught us that every challenge has to make, make something stronger, not just to do it as it was in the past, trying to do it even better than ever. So stay tuned. Okay. One positive feedback I want to just read. I mean, I've got a lot of feedback, but something that stood out. Last week, one, fe- one person writes, I submitted constructive criticism quote-unquote, which you read online and responded to. I appreciated your response, but more importantly, I appreciated that you even responded and did so, and did so in a coherent and menschlich manner. Everyone needs to learn from this. I appreciate that and thank you, and this is a good opportunity to tell you. This program is a partnership between you and myself and us at the Meaningful Life Center, Chassidus Applied. It's a partnership because anything real especially when you're talking about applying messages to life, Teirach, Siddhas to life, your life and my life. That's all part of it. So please, I encourage you, submit your questions, your comments, your critique if you wish, your compliments if you wish, at chassidahsupply.com, a completely, a completely anonymous and confidential forum. 
There you can also find archives of all previous programs, as well as many other resources. I now do a, a Zoom daily class in Ayin Bays every day of the week except Shabbos, which you can just sign up to and join us any day. <clears throat> it's 9.30 a.m. New York time every, every day, and Sunday it's 10, 10 a.m. So you can find all the information at, again, at chassidahsupply.com. You can also find the essays, and as I said, other resources. Okay, that's a little housekeeping. As far as Gimel, Thomas, and Kedar go, I do want to do cross-referencing, because I just like to be thorough and complete. Obviously, we've talked about this in many of the previous years, so I'm referring you to episodes 19, 20, 22 through 24, 71, uh, episode 67, 71, 72, 121, 167, 168, 216, 218, and 266. Okay, good. So now, being that there's unrest, there's, co- co- there's COVID-19 issues, and more, let me address some questions, some follow-up, and hopefully can cover some more ground. And um, I really feel a responsibility to be able to respond to all questions that come in. Everything is registered, everything is read, and everything will be addressed. You just have to be patient with us and with me, and please, I would appreciate that. But we will address, so do not be perturbed in any way. Don't hesitate to write new questions. Someone wrote to me the other week, he says, I found a trick of the trade to get you to answer. It should be something connected to something you spoke about last week or connected to something very relevant to our time. Well, it's not a secret, it's, it's true. And the obvious reason, it's not any bias, is because it's trying to continue the topic that we're on, and something relevant now is most important, takes priority. That doesn't in any way minimize other questions, and many, many questions come in, trust me, that are not necessarily even relevant to particular challenges today. Overall, every question is valuable because it's coming from you. It's coming from your soul. It's a question that matters because you matter. God created you. So if you have a question, you have a dilemma, it's sacred and deserves all the dignity to be able to be addressed. And I take it very seriously. More serious than anything else. But time is time, so we have to try to balance the two. But I wanted you to know that. Should we be afraid of rising anti-Semitism in the present climate? Dear Rabbi Jacobson, Yeshukayach for your wonderful shiurim classes. I was wondering if it would be possible to discuss the worries about anti-Semitism, Rahman al-Islam, etc., and how to best overcome it. And he sent me a series of articles, this writer, of different people's challenges and issues they're having with this. Although what I sent you is just an example, I also know good people who are having similar strong concerns and perhaps fear. There's so much fear and antagonism, and I feel that we must trust in Hashem and be happy. As it says in Shara B'tochem, that's from the Chavis Alavavis, we must make kalim, we must make containers, realizing that everything is in Hashem's hands, in God's hands, and there is never a need to feel uncontrolled terror and panic. My father... Olav Shalom had so much betachen, so much trust. And I feel that the way to overcome this is with Avis Yisrael, with love for your fellow and betachen trust. Bringing to people the light of Teir and I would love if you can shed light on this. So this is a follow-up to many other questions 
as I said, I can't read them all, but they're all in the same category. And last week we discussed about perhaps time has come to move to Israel, which is a piece of this question. So, yes, let me respond the following way. It may be more compelling now and more urgent when we see the unrest, when we see lawlessness and looting and, frankly, is nightly um, fireworks that are disruptive and you don't see law enforcement intervening and you get a sense that's out of control. So, of course, the next question is, when are they going to start attacking? God forbid, I don't even want to mention. Once you don't have law and order. So there is, from a psychotic point of view, logical point of view, you can say there is, listen, we've been very confident, we've been very spoiled, but you know what? Our history tells us things uh, sometimes turn the wrong way, wrong direction. Well, the answers to this is the following. First and foremost, yes, God runs the world. Betochen is necessary at all times, and including at times like this. This doesn't mean we should not be prudent. You lock your doors. You do whatever it takes from a point of view of protection. That's a given. And if, if you indeed feel, and it shouldn't come from weakness and fear, that Ashgacha Pratis and discussing with your mashpia and your mentors and friends and so on, that's time to make a move. Just do it prudently and do it with deliberation, not out of panic and not out of desperation. Not, most things don't, are not good results when you, when you come out of desperation. As a matter of fact, um, last night I did a program should I move? You could look on chsidasupply.com and you'll find the links. Should I move? It's a question people are asking. But I want to address it into the lens of this particular questioner, which we all have. So the answer is that we have to do whatever we can. But betochen is vital. I remember the dark times in Crown Heights in the 60s when the whites were running and there were the riots and a lot of unrest and a lot of unfortunate tragedy. I remember um, the Rebbe's response then was, we do not run. We don't run. That's not the approach. And the same thing in Israel when they were under attack. During the Six-Day War, the wars, later the Intifada. South Africa, when they were going through their unrest. And a third of that country, Jewish population left, if not more. The Rebbe said, no and quoting Simish and Choftes, and quoting other sources, all based on the same idea, there's a God that protects us. And wherever you go, you're going to find some danger till Mashiach comes. At the same time, we see clearly people have moved, people have made moves. But to be driven by a fear, and be trembling that anti-Semitism is on the rise, and be fearful, that's never a healthy approach. Particularly, I should add, that the Rebbe told us that we are al-Saf HaGula, we're on the threshold of Geula, and said there will not be, God forbid, another Holocaust. I don't even open our mouths to say that. And that we have gone through everything, and we're at the end of the Birudim. You say, but what about this that's going on? The Rebbe made it clear, Purim Tov Shemem Zayin, that Yisbaru V'Yislav Nadvarim, at the end of the process, there's going to be, it's like when you are in a Schwitzbad and you're getting your pores cleaned, the last parts of the toxins 
comes oozing out as we get closer. So there's still work to be, to be done. And this is all becoming revealed. But never was there, oi, this is, this is turning bad, and let's run. Where can you, how can you build that type of betochen? You have to be around people who have betochen and trust. Learning Shara betochen in Chivas Lovavis is a good idea. Learning the Sikhs of the Rebbe, connecting. And above all, being mashpia, not to be sitting and worrying and listening and being reactive to all the naysayers and all the doom and gloom that's being shared. When you're positive, you know, I'm on a mission now. I'm on a mission to bring the goal. I'm on a mission to reach people. Kimmel Thomas is coming. I'm going to reach people with Teirach Siddhis. That positive attitude, that alone pushes away fears and darkness. So we go back to all the challenges that we have when we, we feel less trust, less betachen, and we're worried. Not to be worried. Do what you have to do. But the worry and anxiety and fear is not in our lexicon. So no, we should not be afraid. We should be practical. We should be prudent. And we should do what we're told to do. And God will help that when we do that, there'll be the breakthrough. And this will end. And yes, the unrest will end as well. And the lawlessness will end. And we'll come to a world that will be total peace. A total harmony. What mitzvah can we do to counter all the violent protests? Hello, Rabbi Jacobson. Thank, many thanks for your ongoing podcast. I should also say these programs are all podcasts, which means you can download it as a podcast. As a matter of fact, more people listen through podcasts than through the YouTube and through the video. So you can do that as well when you go to the programs online. So here's the person asking, what good specific mitzvah can we do to counter all the violent protest and defunding, defund police movement? Now that's a very good question. Well, before we get to a specific mitzvah, let's just talk about what we should be doing. We must have moral clarity all the time. We must know how to speak about it, how to understand it, because it's so easy to get confused. Do the blacks have a real, a legitimate right? Were they, were they discriminated against? George Floyd was killed in an inhumane way. It gets very confusing, and you sometimes don't know what's right and what's wrong. So the first thing is you must get clarity. What's wrong is wrong, and what's right is right. And there's no justification for any violence, even response to violence. It's not that the way. We have a teira. So the first mitzvah you can do, quote-unquote, is getting clarity and not being confused, knowing what to answer, and not suddenly buying into someone's politicization and uh, agenda-oriented goals based on all this uh, crisis. A mitzvah specifically, the mitzvahs we were told, by the Rebbe specifically, that have special zgula for shmirah is bezuzah, zdokah. These are mitzvahs that are directly counter any type of things that can be fearful or can be uh, destructive. The truth is all mitzvahs do it. Megino matzla, learning teira mitzvahs, they protect. So that's what comes to mind when talking about this. Okay. Let's do a follow-up. Because about what is our attitude to racism, including the question, is dark skin color a result of a punishment? 
So I refer you, first of all, the general topic of racism I spoke about in episode 59, long before this whole parsha, before this chapter. Hello, Rabbi Jacobson. In your last episode, 313, you asked for someone to bring a source that Kushim, Kushim is people come from the country of Kush, sometimes referred to as blacks, referred to today's black community. Can we say the Kushim of Amol, referring, I'll explain in a moment, the following material is some of the things I was able to find. I'm sharing it with you. I would appreciate an explanation how to reconcile these different sources with today's highly charged political climate. Thank you. As you can see, there's lots to be said here. Please help understand. Okay, thank you. Good. So I did speak about this, because this goes back to a question, and actually a real one of those um, d- major distortions in history that have been perpetuated by anti-Semites and by others with an agenda, maybe some people just out of ignorance, that for some reason the roots of bigotry and racism, specifically against blacks, and including slavery, originates in the Torah by Jews. And people have written books on this topic, how it originates from the curse of Chom, the third son, the son of Noach. So I did specific research on this. I did it last week, but I want to just elaborate. So now I've, I've seen some people write, Toyota people write essays on this topic. So let's just get the facts clear. And I've actually found a paper written by a secular uh, academic. If you want to have a copy of it, excellent. Debunking this as a complete myth. Complete myth. And I'm talking from the perspective of Toyota. I'm not talking about someone's personal prejudices, which has nothing to do with Toyota. It's to do with their personal issues. So the story goes, in Parsha Neach, briefly put, that Shem, Chom, Yophis, three sons of Neach, they were all in the Teva with Neach, in the ark during the flood. Afterwards, Neach plants a vine. He drinks from it, gets drunk. Chom, his, the other two brothers, respect Neach. Chom, disrespectful to his father and his nakedness. Different opinions what he did, but he defiled his father. As a result, when Noyach comes through, sobers up, and he sees what happened, so he says he cursed Cham. He says, your son, Canaan, will be slaves. That's the Pesach. The Gemara, in Sanhedrin and Medrash, talk about another thing that happened. That Cham, in the Teva, he behaved inappropriately in an intimate way, in an inappropriate way. And as a result, as a punishment, not as a curse, it says, his skin was affected by it. These are the two main statements. So first of all, the two do not necessarily, they're not connected to one another. Two separate things entirely. Number two, it doesn't say, what does it say? It says that all blacks on earth today come from Kush. That's what Rashi says in Sanhedrin. What does he say? He says that his son was Kush, which means, but Pashtus literally means skin became darkened. So who says that? Who's Kush? How do you know who Kush is? Kush literally is the country of Ethiopia. Kush. But after Sanchev mixed up the whole world, do we even know who it is? And can you say all people of black, dark skin come from, from, from that? Not necessarily. 
And do we even know if that was a lasting thing? Who says that both the curse of Noyach and the punishment, who says it was lasting? Maybe it was for a generation, a few generations. Now there are some that speculate on that, but if you read it with all the commentaries, there's absolutely no connection between the two, and it's not some type of perpetual forever curse or punishment. As a matter of fact, if you look in the sources, where I mentioned last week Isha Akushis, that Moshe married Isha Akushis to many opinions, and it's spoken in a positive way. You look in Pirkei Drabeleza, Parsha Chavdalet, Peter Chavdalet, and he so says, God blessed actually the children of shame, that they should be dark and beautiful, and they should have, and give them civilized parts of the world. He blessed Chom, blessed, that he should be dark and he should be, be um, on the waterfronts. And then he blessed Yophas that he should be white and live in the, the fields and the, and, the, and the, I think the fields and the deserts, I'm not sure exactly. So the commentaries talk about dark. What means dark? There's white, white. There's black, black. And there's in between. Bottom line is the language of dark and black, you find nowhere in the Torah a discrimination ever, God forbid, of someone of color. The Jews themselves are of color. We're not ultra-white, especially in the Middle East. The question is, you could ask, how did Adam and Chava look? So you could say, maybe, which was common, that people who grew up in a culture or in a race that was more white, so black was unusual. But unusual doesn't mean wrong. And even if you were to say it came as a punishment then, not talking about today, even then, and it didn't last, but the fact that a lot of things came as a punishment. For example, the whole thing, why do we work? Because Adam, Adam ate from the tree of knowledge. Why does a mother have birth pains when she's giving birth? Because Chav ate from the tree of knowledge. Why are there languages in the world? Because there was a Deir HaFlogger, there was, they built the, gold, the Tower of Babel. These are all punishments. And yet we don't say that work is a... Is a we, we say work is now something you have to do the right way. So even if something originated due to a human behavior, but then things became part of life, then we have expressions that black actually is beautiful. And an Hashem is not black or white. And you'll never find anywhere that Torah says do not accept converts that are black. They have to be white. As a matter of fact, there are black Jews, born black as well. So however you twist it, and that paper makes a very strong case, you will not find that there's any black discrimination. And again, I'm not talking about people's individual, that every human being on earth has their prejudices. And it's not justified. We're talking from a Torah point of view. I want to also cite an Evan Ezra. Evan Ezra, Noyach, and this Psukim, he says, there are those that say that this punishment that turned, that the, uh, actually the curse, that being a servant, a slave, he says, well, the fact is that the first king, Nimrod, was from the children of Ham, children of Canaan. Kush. So you can't say, and he's a king, he's not a slave. So clearly you see that this issue has been addressed. I also would quote an Abar Benel and Amos Tess Zion, 9-7. There's more to be said on this topic, but suffice for now, and there's no basis at all, 
Now, especially when you take into account what I discussed last week, that every human being is creating the divine image, every human being who originates from Adam. The fact that somebody, for example, is punished because he has a, becomes a Mitzvah, doesn't make him less Tzalem less divine image. I'm not comparing it, I'm just pointing out even that case. And the color of the skin does not define a human being, their soul does. And therefore there's no room for discrimination. Now if somebody has their own issues, it's their own issues. And that you have to address, that brings me to a question someone asked, how can I stop my family from saying racist comments? That's a personal issue, that's a, a fault that people bought into simple prejudices and biases, just like there are people who just are anti-Semites for no, no reason. Unfortunately, there can be racism in other communities, even in the Jewish community, but it's not a, rooted in Judaism, and it's not rooted in Torah. It's rooted in people's ignorance and people's laziness and people's, uh, frankly, shallowness. How do you stop it? Look, the best way is to be able to have a conversation with your family and say, look, why don't we talk about this? You know, we, if anybody, it says, be kind to the stranger because we were strangers in a strange land. Let's talk about it. Why, do, why are we talking in a derogatory way about other human beings created in the divine image? Chaviv Adam Shanivra Betzalon, the Mishnah says. How precious, how beloved is the human being created in the image of God. So if you can have a conversation like that, that's a great way to begin. If you can't, so maybe I would do a divide and conquer, maybe speak to one family member. I definitely would not get into a battle because that, then everyone digs in and egos get in the way and everyone becomes, doesn't help. I would do it in a gentle, kind way, in a loving way. And you have to look at yourself as well. How you, maybe you're also critical in certain ways that you're not even noticing. That's the quick response. In this context, somebody else asked the question, Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. Thank you so much for your classes. I love the straightforwardness and clarity, not wavering from Tera and the Rebbe's approach. I had one question for you in your explanations of how the Tera describes slaves' employees. Your explanation only discusses the Eved Ivri, the Jewish servant, not the non-Jewish slaves. While your approach is very reasonable, how do, you explain, how do we explain the fact that when injury or death happens to a non-Jewish slave, the punishment or penalty is drastically different than that of a Jewish life? Also, would, be a, would it be possible to elaborate more on the Moyav Mitzri restrictions, etc.? Just as a side note, thank you for the explanation on the death penalty. I recall there was once Reb Zalman posed in a radio show and this question came up and he explained how it never happens, meaning the death penalty. And the Rebbe commented later, like you explained then, and brought the example from the space shuttle, that the real answer has to be, even if it doesn't happen, that every detail matters. And we can't measure what detail is more important than another. Would you recall the episode and would, and would know, do you know the dates when you discussed this? The answer is yes, episodes 272 and 281. Thanks so much, Chazak Vamatz. P.S. Your classes are so informative and full of vital answers to many subjects. I really hope it can be produced in a book one day. Looking forward. Okay. Yes, there are different halachas, not just about servants, and I'm specifically using the word servant, not slave. The concept of slave as we know it, where a master can do whatever he wants with another, is absolutely not existent in the Torah. There's no such thing. You can't even treat an animal any way you like. This is, these are creatures of God. And especially a human being. 
So if you look at the halachas, you'll see there's all that basis. It is true that if somebody sold themselves or in some way they are now doing for you a service and they, you are protecting them or providing them with, with sustenance and with uh, shelter and with other things, which is a form of a barter, that there is, yes, they may have given up certain rights to serve you. But there has to be a humaneness to it that you'd be surprised how humane. Even when Jews go to war and they conquer, capture captives, a defensive war. They have rules. You cannot do whatever you want. It just does not exist in Teres Chesed. So whether it's a Jewish servant or a non-Jewish servant, there are limits. Are there differences? Yes, there's also differences between, for example, ribus, giving someone a loan on interest. With a Jew, you're not supposed to. With a non-Jew, it's a mitzvah. And the answer is not because we're taking advantage of them, because ribus, as the Rebbe once explained, is a logical thing. What's wrong? If I, if I buy a product for $10, I sell it to you for $15, $12. Is there anything unethical? No. I have to make a living, so I make the $2. Obviously, it, it, you know, price gouging or other types of ways are unethical. So what's wrong with me saying, you want cash, I'll give you a loan of $10, but I want back $12. It's normal. There's nothing unethical, but it's achicha. But if it's your brother, meaning your own family, someone from your own Jewish community, you have to go beyond the letter of the law. So here the Allah is that you don't take ribus. But, but someone who's not your family, why not? It's a legitimate thing. You're not, God forbid, doing anything wrong. So there's some higher standards when you're dealing with, like, chayecha kaidmi, with someone that, your own life, or the life of close ones, close ones. But never, God forbid, is a result of a discrimination against any human being. It simply is not correct. That culturally, culturally that evolved, especially you can imagine Jews who've suffered greatly, became on the defense and they saw non-Jews being a threat to them for legitimate reasons. So you could imagine that a certain defensiveness has been built up culturally. But our challenge is to not allow ourselves to be affected by that. We have to look how the Torah looks. Now a criminal is a criminal. And there are ways to deal with a criminal, sometimes severe ways, because it's protecting the innocent. Whether the criminal is a Jew or non-Jew, there are rules. But overall, the humanity, the Torah's chesed, there's no way the Torah could say to do something that's not kind and loving and compassionate. And I've talked about this topic many times, but suffice it to say for now that there's nothing in the Torah that you're going to find that contradicts the humanity that we have to treat all people who are created in the divine image. There are guidelines and rules, and there are times where there is, there are rules that, that, that we may seem that a person has given up some of their rights, but it's not all of their rights, first of all. And second of all, the concept of slavery as we know it today, no. When you look in Pasha Mishpatim and you read all the commentaries in the halachas, no, it's, it was servant, there were servants. There are servants today too. There are people who are doormen. There are people who are taxi drivers, chauffeurs, cleaning people. They're also, are they mistreated? Well, many times they are. And in history, they have been mistreated. The Torah never allows you to mistreat anyone. Even if they're not on your caliber, even if you're paying them, even if they'll take the abuse. You cannot abuse another human being. And that's a, a fundamental core principle that is inarguable. And therefore, if you find somewhere an exception, as I discussed last week, it's something missing. Either we don't understand what it says in the Torah or... Or, or the situation on the ground is not the way we're not accurate, or something wrong with it. 
That's the general picture about that. Okay. Oh boy, time, time, time flies. I wanted to cover a lot more. Let me deal with, um, let me see here. Let me see what else I'll cover. How do we solve a rift in our community and, a syn- and synagogue about social distancing? Okay, so let's do one of those. Our small rural USA community is split because of this stinky virus. <laughs> Interesting adjective. It's a cursed virus. Some are careless and are even having kedushim in their private minion. And some want to be careful and keep social distancing. They, the careless, are complaining. If we're not davening with a minion, and sure, that's keeping social distancing. Leave us alone. So I'm asking this person, right, then why should we pay membership? What would you suggest to solve this rift? Okay. Well, this issue was compelling a while back. It's still compelling in many ways, because even as some shul's opening, there are kinds of limitations regarding Kiddush and so on. Like any rift, I think we have to get beyond our personal choices and our personal interests and comforts. We have a Teda, we have Chassidus. The Teda Chassidus says that number one is you have to always be respectful to another human being, even if you don't agree with them. You have to be able to listen to them, hear what they have to say. To me, immediately when I read this, it sounds to me, can you guys even talk to each other? It sounds like not. Everybody's dug in, and people have their egos and their positions and their pride. So the first thing is, try to create a decent civil conversation. Maybe not in a group, because some people are more hot-headed and harder to talk to. If you can find someone that represents someone from this side of the aisle, and someone from the other side, and have an ability to just rise to the occasion and just talk civilly, decently, that's a good beginning. Because if they can come to terms, maybe they can then bring it to the others. The second thing that Teda tells us, that there's a God in this world. And the God told us what to do when there's danger. Even Suffolk, even a drop of a doubt, you must listen to a doctor say. Bikuach nefesh dechakola It is more powerful, life, than your minion and Aliyah, and definitely Kiddush. Now you'll say, well, we don't know what the doctors are saying, they're politicized, everyone's saying something else, there's no clarity. That's why we need to be intelligent people. If you're it's a community, let's put, sit, sit down and say, let's weigh all the factors. Now there are going to be some people who are more, are more cautious, I don't want to say paranoid, but more cautious, and some a little less that's why you come to terms when you're a community. I don't know the details. I don't know who's involved. I don't know if it's gotten to a point where you just like to a point that, uh, of no return. That's what happens with Machlekes. But I have to believe, and I want to believe, there's always hope. If you have some level-headed people, especially if you need, bring in a third party who's completely not in the game of it's not subjective. Review the issues. Review the health issues. As the local doctors, as the local rabbi, and come to some compromise. Remember, not everyone has to go to shul. You don't have to go. 
Should there be a Kiddush in Shul? Today many are saying not yet. If some communities where everybody says yes, then discuss it. But if everyone's saying no and some people just want to have it, as a rabbi, as a son, you have to be responsible. And have to think about everybody. My point here is I don't have a press button solution here and it'll solve all your problems. I'm suggesting ways how you resolve issues. Step back, try to discuss it in a humble way, without arrogance, without arguing, without yelling. And you listen to what the Torah says. And you know what? If it's a suffolk, maybe better to be more cautious. It's a doubt. You're not sure. Why do we have to be, why do we have to put anything at risk? And cautious doesn't mean that you're overly afraid or terrified. It means you're being prudent. The different people we have to think about, not just ourselves. And I can ask anyone who tells me, when can I go back to shul? I said, let me ask you, you want to go to shul to your kiddush because God wants you to go or because you want to go? And some chuckle and say, well, maybe both. If you want to do what God wants to do, then you do what God wants to do. It's not always what you want. It's clearly the pandemic is not something we wanted. Nobody wanted to stay home. Nobody wanted to be quarantined. We'd have loved to continue. But that was not meant to be. Question is now where we are now, what we could do, what we shouldn't do, and so on. Okay. With that, I'm going to conclude. Even though there's more questions and I thought I could cover more. Well, that's life. So, my friends, it's a week I always, uh, it's very uh, personal for me and I'm sure for all of you. Gimel Tammuz, you know, I wouldn't be who I am or not for the Rebbe, whose teachings, for his commitment, for that relentless pursuit of doing everything possible to change this world and bring Mashiach. And it's affected and transformed my life. So when I think about Gimel Thomas, I think about the mission. What is the mission that has changed my life? And each of us have to think that way. What is the mission? Why you were sent to this world? The Rebbe was sent to this world by God as a gift to teach us, like a good leader, what the mission of this generation is. And that's what the Rebbe did. First, Maimur Basilagan. We have to ask ourselves now, are we fulfilling that mission? What are we doing unique, individualistic to us, that's customized to you, not to someone else, customized to you to advance that mission, make it grow, expand, reach more people, quantitatively, qualitatively? How are we doing that in educating and inspiring our families, our children? There are real questions to be asked, and real answers are necessary. May Hashem bless you and us all, we should do our part. We don't know how much it is, we don't know how much more time. Do our part, do your part. And then we can finally say to the Rebbe, 26 years, it's a long time, we did, we did what I, I did the best I can. Especially in this tkufa, in this period of time, I did what I could do. And please do your part. He said, and bring and beseech God to bring the Gula Amitiz Vashlema. This has been my life, Chesidah Supplied, pre Gimel Tamar's edition. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. God bless you all. Stay well, stay healthy, and stay on course with our sights on the destination. 
with our mission focused toward getting there, the destination of the total fusion of heaven and earth, a world filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.